Hi there, and welcome to episode 19 of Side Chat. In this episode, James and I discuss about psychological contract and the concept of the whole person. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any suggestions or comments, please send them to sitechat at omnisite.com or tweet to site underscore chat. Hi there, and welcome to episode 19 of Side Chat. My name is Dr. Austin Tay, and I'm joined again today uh, by James Mollicurt, who is now still based in Malaysia, in Johor, with the sunny, sunny uh, weather that, uh, that he has shared with me earlier on. How are you, James? Really good, thanks, Austin. Thanks for inviting me again. Wow, it's always my pleasure, and uh, you're my co-host. That's why I like to have you, and I always like to challenge you I'd rather challenge ourselves with, with uh, uh, topics that I think is interesting. Um, and and I, I, I kind of bestow this on you uh, with this particular topic this, this, uh, uh, for this podcast. So today we're going to be talking about psychological contract. Has it evolved? Uh, that's, that's the topic or that's the, the title of this, this uh, uh, podcast. Now we 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 have been talking about personality motivation, and then last week we kind of wrap it all up with uh, social identity, uh, and you know how individuals could choose their own social identity based on how motivated they are, their own personality traits. Now, I like to kind of put this into perspective. How do we apply this whole concept of a whole person to work? Right. Uh, I I I managed to get this. Uh, quote from uh, Henry Ford. He said, "Why is it that I always get the whole person when all I really want is a pair of hands?" Uh, which is quite interesting because I, I think I, I know where he's coming from. But for for me, I think <laughs> that is theory X in a, in a nutshell. It is, isn't it? But I I think it is it's one of very strange thing because the organization is always having this expectation. We don't really want the whole person. We want the person to be able to perform the work and that's it. So if, if they, they, they can, they will want to split us into, uh, into halves, really. Uh, the working self and also the home self, right? But sad to say, whether the organization wants us as a whole person or not, the whole person is going to be reporting for work. We're going to be there as an entire person. Whether you know we 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 want it or not too, because we can't separate our emotions, our thoughts, as we go to work, uh, uh our, our private thoughts and, and emotions. Likewise, when we come back, it is very difficult to disassociate ourselves from the, the concerns that we have 
that we have kind of accumulated uh, during the work work hours. So it's very difficult to kind of say, no, we, we, we don't want that person to be there as a whole person. We have to have that. Then, of course, the, the question here would be, can the whole person with varied social identities, because we, you know, we, we choose our membership, be applied in the work context? And does our employment contract actually allow us to do so? Uh, maybe before you answer that, or maybe before we discuss this, uh, a little bit about what employment contract is. When we talk about employment contract, it's something uh, legally bind, you know, kind of delineates what you do for your work, how much you be paid, what kind of uh, 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 benefits you're going to get, uh, etc. in the contract itself. Often, this is what we usually get. And not all contracts, not all employment contracts are very explicit. There are certain things organization will, will want to, you to do, but they don't tell you. So before we, we go on to the next part, I just want to go back to the question I was asking. Can a whole, can whole person with, with varied social identities be applied in a work context? And does our employment contract allow us to do so? What do you think, James? I, I, I think it's quite a mixed bag in that. And I'm not sure it even ultimately fits as a question. Yeah. Uh, Multiple social identities um, is, you know, if, if we take multiple identity stuff, social identity theories, you know, in terms of me as a male, me as a as a friend, me as a me as a British person, me as a psychologist, these are social identities that I have acquired mm. or have been given to me. me as an employee, me as a colleague, um, lots of things, and as well as there's identities that I have been derived from my motivations and, and traits over the years in terms of I am I'm a conscientious person, um, I am brave, uh, I am caring, whatever those sorts of ideas that that sort of coalesce my motivations and traits into an, some, some sort of identity of who I am. Um, can those fit into the workplace as it's inevitably they, they do because as you said you can't separate the hands from the mm. person that's that is inevitable to it and it simply is i think it lays down is what you're sort of getting to is that the task for management like it or not for leaders is to lead and engage with the whole person in all their horrendous complexity <laughs> and you know, contradictions, strengths and weaknesses, the whole lot. And that, you know, when we embrace the idea of you know, how this person sees themselves in the world, what their traits are, what their motives are, uh, what their values are, um, how they're, they're, they're living their work inside and outside of the time that they give you. And I think that's, that's just what one has to do. One has mm. to engage with that if you're going to get the best out of that person for the pure motive of the organization to get more work done um, at a higher level for longer or for as long as you need them to do it mm. um, for the lowest lowest price. I mean, th that's what managers have to do to engage, unfortunately, you know, and, and away from that sort of Tayloristic view of, of um, scientific management of just treating humans as mechanical resources mm. Mm. they are humans yeah. and the challenge 
is to deal with everything about them in order to get your performance, get your engagement, and, and avoid the risk of problematic behaviors. Mm. And that's mm. the same thing. Mm. Um, and that's that's where I think when we were talking about before, you know, several months ago about counterproductive work behaviors, yep. um, is that the preoccupation of, of HR um, and HR models has, has been for a long, long time uh, on performance. What are the factors that I need to, to, to deal with to get the best performance out of this person? So when we look at competency models, knowledge, skills, experiences, perform, perform, perform. But we know full well that engagement is a driver of that. It's how you en- actually engage, um, turn that motor on. Uh, so without engagement, you don't get performance, even if the fa- fundamentals are there. And beyond that, we have dark traits, the fact that the whole person comes to work mm. and they have uh, parts of their personality that if you activate them, if you don't control them, will end up with potentially problematic behaviors. The whole person. Yeah. yeah. Manage it like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I totally agree with you when you say the word engagement. Uh, it is it's quite a... A strange word because when we talk to organization, um, one of the kind of party line that they will use is, yeah, we want to engage our, our employees to make sure what we could help them to develop and make sure they will be uh, 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 kind of contribute to the organization. But it is very selective when we talk about engagement. They were based on certain criteria or certain tools that they use and then identify certain issues and this is what it is. Uh, then we are going to engage the person based on that. But when we are talking about whole person, it's not just piecemeal uh, bits or, or certain bits that you identify with an individual. It has to be a whole person. While using those tools, you might, uh, as an organization, identify certain uh, components that you need to further engage your employees. When you're looking at data of the sort, you have to look beyond that data. You know, You should look at the individual itself also as, how about other aspects that this person might not be responding to us or disengage? What can we do? And I think this is very important, talking about whole person itself. We, we, we can't separate us from a particular area only and how that fits into work. If this is done so, then the whole exercise of engagement is wrong because you're not engaging the person from the start as a whole person. You're engaging them only some components of it. So I think that is wrong when when you hear and you and I hear an organization talking about engagement. I, I sometimes laugh when when they say, "Oh, we're doing an engagement survey." I say, "Okay, well, what what are the the data that you you know you've actually come up with, and what do you what do you get out from it, and what are you going to be doing?" Oh, we realize we need to do more training on communication. We need to be uh, training them to make sure they are a bit more uh, uh, savvy or they're a bit more open, uh, more critical, and everything. I said, "Well." That is good to know, but how about other aspects of that individual? Have you actually sat down and talked to them about other aspects apart from the score that you got from the engagement survey? No. I said, that, that, then you're not actually addressing the individual as a whole person. You're just addressing the person because you feel that all those areas that you've identified in an engagement survey are only relevant to you as an organization, but you do not treat your employees as a partner in, in this contract that you you sign with them as an, empl- well, an employment contract, right? So I, I think this is where I, to me as a psychologist, and you know, we, we talk about things like that very openly. 
I always get very frustrated when people tell me, can you do an engagement survey for me? I say, no, I'm not going to do an engagement survey until I know why you're doing it. What is the purpose? And how are you going to use those data? And nine out of 10, I always get those information, which I felt, why are you spending this money on engagement survey, which you could actually use a much more uh, cheaper way uh, in dealing with issues. That is to have a frank conversation with your employees and understand them. Yeah. Firstly, as an individual. Secondly, then as an employee. Because if you do it the other way around, you're never going to actually understand the person uh, as, as an entire person. And, and I, it, it pains me to say this, but I really wish if there are listeners who are working for organization, please, please think about why you're doing engagement survey. And if you're doing it wrongly, you need to be looking at the other part of how do I further get more information about this individual? Maybe having an open conversation and asking things like, you know, how are you feeling today? You know, what is actually troubling you? What are the things that you, are, you have concerned apart from the work itself? Are there any other things that's actually uh, preventing you from being an effective employee? And I think this is very important. And contractually, anyway, you're you are supposed to be taking care of your employee. And I think that's why the question was saying, uh, uh, does the, the employer contract allow us to identify someone as a whole person? I, I find that I don't think that is entirely uh, possible and, and or, or true in a sense because people who are managing it are not very good at understanding why <coughs> they, they have an employment contract with someone. They just do it because I guess everybody else is having an employment contract. It's very standard. We don't think beyond that. And that kind of brings me to, to think about maybe there is a kind of another form of contract that we should be talking about. Uh, and you and, you and I know what we are trying to talk about here. It's more, more like a psychological contract, right? Uh, and, and, and what is psychological contract itself? And, and maybe just a quick quick definition of what psychological contract is. Um, psychological contract is, is a belief that an exchange partner is ob obligated to provide inducements such as fair compensation in exchange for one's own contribution such as loyalty or high-quality work. Now, this is very different from a contract. This is more of a very implicit uh, kind of uh, thinking or expectation from either the employee side or the organization perspective here. Now, maybe you know, in terms of dealing with social identity or as a whole person, psychological contract could help us to explain that. I, I, I don't know. This, this was just in my head when I was coming to you this this uh, podcast uh, and you 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 kind of oblige and say well let's talk about it and then this is why we are here. <laughs> what do you think do you think psychological contract will be able to help us to to explain the concept of a whole, per whole person someone who has different social identity at work the good thing about the psychological contract idea and first it is it is a concept a philosophy really um it's not something that is entirely defined it's not something in, in some ways is completely measurable um but it is a powerful idea that it's these unwritten expectations of inputs and outputs what i'll do for you what what you'll do for me um the good thing about it, i mean so of course it's then linked to you know equity theory and and 
core things about fairness and yep. trust and openness, communication. So that links back to your idea of psychological safety. <clears throat> it really links the psychological contract that how I think you're going to treat me, given all the multiple things that might happen in a day at work or a year mm -hmm. of work, internal and external variables, but how I think the organization, and this is the interesting thing as well, that the organization will treat me given what I might do, mm. how I might respond, or whether that's my additional work, working hard, failing, succeeding, you know, super succeeding, um, solving problems beyond expectations or otherwise, uh, that I will get something back from, from that. Uh, I think... Um, What's interesting with the psycholog uh, psychological contract is there's so much of culture and values, social norms, the things mm. we talked about that actually help sh shape identities mm. um, uh, and, and needs, uh, define you know, what, what I want and how I want it, values, uh, are shaped by society um, and the organizations, organizations' values. You know, how IBM would treat its employees in the 70s and 80s would be, be known by everybody. That's their brand. That's the IBM way. Um, the same with how you can be expected to be treated in, a, in GE. Mm. Um, if you underperform, out you go. If you put in extra effort, who cares? Um, or what I, obviously, I'm, I'm not that familiar with GE. I've used it as, a, as a, perhaps an unfortunate example, an incorrect example. My apologies to any GE people. Um, but the idea that companies' values, social norms, uh, we were talking earlier about you know, political systems or, you know, in terms of demo liberal democracies or, or, or other approaches to citizenship, that mm. those have values of how I should behave. Uh, the, in the, I think that, so there are many important things about the, the concept of psychological contract, but perhaps a really important thing is that it's the idea of perception of the employee mm. to what the employer does. Right. It's fundamentally seen from the employee's perspective and that breaching the contract, although employees, you may get an abusive employee who, who actually does, they do breach the contract, that psychological contract. They just, they, they, they run the edge of their behavior you know, mm. classic passive-aggressive behavior is a great example of this one. They really treat a fine line into yep. the, 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 what's written in the contract of employment and the spirit, the expectation of employment, what it yep. means. Does it mean that you leave at 6 o'clock every day on the dot of 6 o'clock? No, that's never expected in a team, in a variable, challenging organization mm. when, sorry, there's an urgent, urgent need. It's like you're a nurse. And your, your shift in ER finishes at 6 o'clock uh, and, and a casualty comes in at, at five, 5 to 6. Or your colleague who's going to come in to, to take over your place is late. Mm. That you would leave. In your contract, it says you can leave. Yes. Job's done. You won't be paid any extra. Nothing's there. Yep. Psychologically, the team... Your employer, your supervisor, primarily is the employer there, and that's where that obviously that contract is primarily driven by that. Um, although there's also psychological contracts with the with the the team members. Mm. I have a contract with you as a team member, a horizontal contract, not just a vertical one. And that if I leave 
your trust in me as a reliable, good person, let alone an, a, a teammate or an employee, is completely broken. Mm. You're just seen as a selfish person yeah. who, who walks around with my legal contract saying, that's all you can expect from me. That's yep. all you're going to get. Yep. And that's all I expect in return. Mm. Wow. That real transactional approach to life fundamentally doesn't suit humans because we're the whole thing. Yep. We are social beings. Yep. So the psychological contract not just refers really strongly to the perception of the employee to social norms, company, corporate values, how they should be treated and how, what they, they're expected of beyond the writing, how many hours, how yeah. much for. Yeah. That doesn't say how I'm supposed to be polite or, or put in extra effort to help, general helpfulness or just being trustworthy to my to to the organization or to my colleagues it doesn't say any of those things but the perception of it is really important and if you're trying to understand how how you're going to get engagement you must think from the employee's point of view for them what is fair yep. what is reasonable mm. and if you don't reach down to that which is finally back to your point then you're you're missing you're missing the human the humanity and that every employee will have a slightly different idea about what's fair and reasonable yeah. uh, for me to give. But those, those expectations are set through cultural norms and expectations, family values mm. that translate to what I think a good employee should be, a good team member should be, um, a good partner should be, a good boss should be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what you said. Uh, I, I was intending to talk a little bit more about uh, the, 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 the new kind of working environment and how psychological contract will apply to perhaps freelancers or slash, uh, slashes, they call themselves, or, or the gig economy. But because we are now on a, on a kind of a roll here, I, I want to perhaps go back a little bit more what you were saying, that this whole psychological contract is very implicit on usually is the expectation of the employers wanting the employees to do certain things, although it's not written on the contract itself. But as you also said, it is very important for the employees to have a voice because if they don't feel they are fairly treated or they do not feel that they are taken care of by the organization, even though it's not explicitly said uh, on the contract itself, now, this is where I think the policies of organizations should be clear, how they should protect them and how that those policies could be, in a way, uh, covering the, the expectation, the implicit expectation within a psychological contract. And treating human beings or employees uh, as, as a whole person is, is very important. Uh, they are not going to be there uh, slaving for you or working very hard, I shouldn't say slaving, but working very hard for you, if you don't learn to appreciate and treat them as part of the organization. And we, we know dealing with a lot of organizations, sometimes uh, employers are very transactional. You are signing this contract with me, therefore you to do this amount of work, but I'm expecting you to do a little bit more because in your contract, there's this particular clause that all of us We'll look at it and I'm not sure how to explain it. And any other uh, uh, duties uh, employers see fit to, to, to allocate to you. And this, this is one of those very open-ended uh, clause in a contract that employers leave it very open because it benefits them. 
but learn to appreciate that uh, the employee's concern is also very important, right? While we are, we understand this is a very transactional contract. <coughs> Uh, if the motivation is not there, right, and 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 if the opportunity comes, uh, they are ready to go, out of the office, out of your organization, uh, at any time. So for organization to think that you know, I have this contract is signed and sealed, it's fine. You shouldn't be worried about it uh, for this this concept of psychological contract. Uh, I would say organization rethink. As in, and James, you say it very well. This is a concept which not many people actually talk about it or want to talk about it because it is too difficult to identify, it's too difficult to define, and where do you draw the line? But in terms of being human about it, you know, talking about humanity, uh, organization is made up of a lot of people, individuals who uh, essentially have feelings and thoughts and what have you. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot to be a little bit more compassionate towards your employees. I only can see win-win on both sides. If you treat employees uh, as you should, as a human being, uh, and go beyond that uh, legal contract and look at what you could actually offer them in terms of a psychological contract, uh, that would be very helpful. Uh, but of course, how 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 can one? Uh, decide what is a psychological contract between you and your organize uh, you as an organization and your employees. I think this is where we were talking about having that very frank, uh, open conversation with your employees uh, to lay down the expectation, maybe the implicit expectation. It's it's very important, uh, and not to to just expect, but not not taking into consideration how your employees are feeling too. Uh, and I think that is, is important. Now, as I said earlier on, I, I really want to talk about the, uh, the new working environment, but I want to put it into another uh, episode if I could, because I think that bit will be quite interesting to look at the, the work environment, the, the change of the work environment, and those who are not uh, uh, fully employed as, as an employee, how do they treat psychological uh, contract there? But com coming back to this point, I think there's a lot for organization to think about when we talk about psychological contract. It is, is, I must stress, it is not a new concept. It is a concept that you know, has been talked about many, many years and, and people have done research in, in that. It's just that something I felt at this time, especially when, when a lot of employees are working from home, where work, uh, work and also home life is, is, is blurred at the moment, psychological contract seems to be a recurring theme as I talk to people. Uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's something worth thinking about it James do you have any yes that you <laughs> yeah okay so we're going to do something else on this one uh, next time yes uh, I think the core of it I mean trying to get to to practical applications of what is a, a basic idea that the working re relationship in order to, to get from a human the, the productivity, um, commitment, and um, an absence of problematic behaviors that the company needs, it, there is a, a document that says, here's legally what we agree mm. that you will do for us mm. and the standards that you will, you will seek to attain mm. and the reasons what, how we can part company. But it is a relationship 
that exists. And the relationship is fundamentally um, executed by the people surrounding the employee on a daily, daily basis. That's the particular supervisor or boss and the, and the other employees around them that they engage with. So that already says that the expectations of the, the relationship part of it, I have an I have the employee have an expectation of that, yeah. of how I will be treated and what mm. is expected from me as mm. a citizen of this organization. Mm. So again, we get into organizational citizenship behaviors, um, that sort of area too. But I think this is the expectations of what the organization expects from me and what I expect from the organization. These are not necessarily written, but they they are socially given, they yep. are transmitted to me at from the employer brand, mm. from the recruitment process, should be very clear to me what's expected in the relationship part of it. Mm. And I think a critical thing where the, the psychological con contract comes out is in, is in two parts. The organization's values that are uh, aligned and, and fully translated into its HR processes. Mm. That's from selection, performance, yes. training and development, career yeah. management, and even outplacement. Yeah. So if the values are clear and real, and if they've been translated and echoed into the employment practices, live processes, then the expectations are real. So I expect to, in performance management, you know, just be given a number yeah. once in the year. And based upon that, I'll be promoted, given more money or fired. If that's really clear and if that's based upon the value that's related to that thing, then that's coherent. I understand that. I might not like it, but it's clear, it's mm. expressed, and that's part of the deal. Mm. And the behaviors around that will cascade into other parts of how I'm treated, yeah. how the leader, the leadership style of the organization, mm. I would expect, will be coherent with that. The key thing is, I think, is that the expectations need to be clear. And it's the organizational values and translation of that make it clear mm. and coherent. Mm. It, right down to the leadership of every individual manager there. And that's where it gets complicated, of course. Yeah. I think, uh, so it's really about expectations um, on, on both sides. And that the expectations of the individual do change. And what you, your point about the gig economy and new work, working relationships is really, really powerful, I think, because... The expectations of employment have changed radically in the last year yeah. or have been accelerated the last year. Mm. Um, the, the gig economy, I mean, if, if I go onto, onto Fiverr or, or a freelancer and I'm going to get somebody to design um, a, a flyer, a marketing flyer, I, I give out the task, I can get bids, I can hire the designer, the designer sends me certain things, and in different designers that I've worked with, the relationship's very different. Yeah. I, I'm there trying to motivate and encourage as if I'm leading them as, 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 as an employee, mm. but they're not. They've got multiple projects going on. They might not even say regards. They might not bother with any pleasantries. Yeah. Just get the job done, get yeah. paid and move on. Yeah. And it's really interesting because in my expectations are that we will actually have a pleasant relationship here. I'll respect you, you'll respect me, and we might have something afterwards. But the freelancer who's working from out of Jakarta, who's, got, who's looking for 50 clients and is bidding for 50 projects every day, doesn't care. It's a volume game. Mm. They have, I, can't, I can't hurt them because they're hurt every day 
by people denying their work yep. and rejecting their proposals. Yep. So it's really interesting. Um, I, I think it comes to your points to what's the nature of the expectations on either side. Because yep. if there's no breach of con- psychological contract, then there's no problem. Yeah. If it's breached, then the whole basis of engagement falls away. Yeah. And you get whatever the mm. withdrawal behaviors you're going to get to mm. rebalance that out. Mm. Um, so I think exploring the gig economy and the, the expectations now of work is fundamental to, to understanding the relationship between an employer and, and freelancers and short-term employment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is, I will promise all of you, this is something that we want to discuss a bit more in detail in, in the next podcast or maybe the subsequent one. Uh, but I, I think... Talking a little bit about psychological contract today, uh, we all know it's very implicit, but clarity needs to be there if we know what are the expectations. Then there'll be no bridge. And once there's no bridge, then uh, we all be somewhat very much happier <laughs> uh, in terms of, of, of uh, psychological contract. And and I think this is important just to keep a taster to, to our listeners what exactly it is. Uh, I'll put some show notes on, on, on this episode a little bit more about uh, what psychological contract is and uh, we'll share with all the listeners. Right. Kind of a, a, a serious topic. Well, most of our, our uh, sessions are always serious topic anyway. Uh, but today, <laughs> as, as usual... Thank you very much, uh, James, for, for talking to me and having this discussion with Thank me. You. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, and I uh, really enjoy talking about this. And uh, we will be actually coming towards the end of the uh, year, aren't we? So we will probably be talking a little bit more about uh, what we're going to do in the last uh, wrap-up. Uh, but definitely stay tuned if you are listening to us for the first time. Uh, hope you are actually subscribing to us on this podcast and uh, if you have any questions or suggestions please send them to sitechat at omnisite.com or tweet to site underscore chat alright so we'll see you guys uh, next time thanks again uh, James for today thanks Austin you have been listening to Site Chat. this podcast is brought to you by Omnisite Consulting We are a team of psychologists with a wealth of experience in working with individuals, teams and organizations in the areas of coaching, executive selection, assessment and development, career transitioning and workplace intervention. Omnisci Consulting exists to solve the critical issues facing our clients, both large and small. Our approach is to tailor-make each service to meet the requirements of our clients. Our broad range of services and solutions help individuals and organizations to facilitate change, achieve their vision, and optimize performance and productivity. For more information about our services, do check us out at www.omnisci.com.